worked so far, but we're not out yet. I wanna know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide. I wanna know what you're feeling. Tell me what's on your mind. Hailing Frequencies Open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and if God wanted us to have three nostrils, he'd have given us three index fingers. He would have, indeed. That was a clip from episode 4.8, where I talked with Alex Knapp of Forbes magazine about the TNG episode, The Most Toys. And speaking of toys, if you haven't figured it out yet, This is our yearly Christmas clip show where we look back at some of the highlights from this season of Enterprising Individuals. Merry early Christmas. Last year, it was a clip miss miracle. This year, we're up on the housetop. Clip, clip, clip. And yes, I will immediately be remanding myself to Federation custody for trial and punishment. It's been a hell of a year for Trek and for this show. Star Trek Discovery ended its second season and is headed into its third. We've seen the beginning of a second round of short treks. Star Trek Picard launches on January 23rd of next year. We've had updates on Lower Decks and the Nickelodeon animated Trek series. And we're getting a Star Trek IV at the multiplex in the near future with Noah Hawley at the helm. The Trek Renaissance is in full swing and enterprising individuals has been there at every turn to bring you the latest news and commentary as well as in depth and engaging discussions about some of your favorite episodes from every Trek series. And I gotta say, I am exhausted. Really, listen to this. This is the pre-roll from our first season four episode from this year, uh, released in February. Hey crew, before we get started today, I just wanted to say welcome to season four of Enterprising Individuals. I'm so excited to be back. It just, it felt Really weird not producing new episodes every week, but uh, we're back now, and I'm chomping at the bit to kick off our fourth year of the show, so welcome. Listen to the youth, the energy in that voice. This is me 11 months later. Oh, somebody kill me, please! Somebody kill me, please! I am completely wiped, a vial of cordrazine. Couldn't get me going again. We've been working hard all year to bring you an entertaining and informative show, and I hope, I pray that we've succeeded. I'm going to go pass out and let past me take over now. Please enjoy these excerpts from some of our best shows this year, and I'll be back at the end of the show, maybe. With that, let's get underway. On episode 4.1, I spoke with artist Lee Sargent about the TOS episode Devil in the Dark, And he pointed out that Trek did a good job with the subtlety of the episode's message that man is the real monster, unlike some other sci-fi properties. I love that the devil in the dark is us. It's not the hoarder. And I think that's just when that realization of that kicks in, that we're the aliens, we're the people who are, uh, you know, who are encroaching upon and killing, uh, we're the monsters. I think it's, and it's not done in such a way that it hits you over the head. Um, like it never, at, at any stage, does Kirk look at the screen and go, oh, we're the devil in the dark type of thing. Um, <laughs> it just 
turns you know, to camera. Wah, wah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, how clever are we? Because we're the devil in the dark. Right. Uh, like, you know, it's like The Walking Dead. I think there's a scene in The Walking Dead where it says that. <laughs> it, it was in the comic book and it's in the show, I think, where it's kind of Rick or someone kind of goes, we're the walking dead. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Roll thank credits. You for, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for explaining your very clever th- um, title type of thing. But At least Richard Matheson saved it, you know, for the end of the book. Like I am legend oh, or whatever. No, but that's, that's a hundred percent, but you know, but that's the thing. He, he did save it to the right to the end. Yeah. Um, and it's taken you on this amazing ride. I was going to mention that actually, because this, this does definitely feel like something he would have done. It's got a very I Am Legend feel to it. Yeah. Uh, as far as this kind of oh, we are the, you know, we're the we're the we're on the wrong side of this one, and it takes smart people. And this is what I love about Star Trek, and I love about this episode. Light of Gold was on episode two point five, and on the episode we talked about how Trek characters are relatable but retain a distance from twentieth century humans, and how Discovery is changing that sometimes explicitly. And Lyda, a writer for Current Affairs magazine, turns that into the real question. What does pop culture look like in a post-scarcity society? I, I think they're trying to sort of eliminate the 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 distance. Um, mm-hmm. It's not much of a. It's not the same egalitarian portrayal that we, nobody's rehearsing Pippin in the hold of Discovery. You know, they're <laughs> they're eating burritos. You know, and they're like, "What's up, dude?" And I think that we. I think it's a conscious choice to to make us connect more than you would with, say, Picard and Data. You know, playing mm-hmm. Henry V in the holodeck or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think it's I, there's a couple things there, and I think it's it's getting away a bit from this sort of like sort of traditional you know culture of Star Trek being around Shakespeare and and you know it's sort of higher culture of the 20th century um, or you know, and before like the 20th century ideas of like what high culture meant. Yeah, and, and, and nobody wrote relatable. a good play. Yeah, in, in 400 years, okay. nobody's written it. Yeah, this is a thing that bugs me. This is actually like something because and something that is bugging me a little bit about the season of Discovery is there's so many 20th century references. Tignataro is just 20th century reference every minute, and I'm like, what in 21st century? And like, why did what, didn't nothing else happen ever? And it actually kind of begs the question: if is there any kind of popular culture in a post scarcity world? Oh. Which is something I've been Oh, I've got my new show. About. You're coming back for that show. <laughs> really? Oh, Wonderful. yes. I'm excited. That's great because, because okay, so uh, definitely things would be popular, but if nothing is, yeah, can you, I think I, I talked to Manu about this, like, can you market something mm-hmm. to uh, to an audience still? Like, is there a product? Is there something that you push? Or is it all just a, uh, a hierarchy of, of talent? You know, like, this right. guy is the best Vulcan Lyre player, so we all know about him, instead of, this guy's okay, but he's good looking, and the record label's really pushing him, so... Yeah, yeah. There is there no, marketing? Is there advertising? We we know, occasionally they'll mention people who are, you know, well-known. Jake wants to be a writer, so that's a, that's a job. There's a writing school. Right. We know that people can be writers, but do you... If you just want to be a writer, do you just publish a book? Do you need... Do you, is there a publishing industry... Well, there is in Voyager. The doctor um, uh, wants to publish his uh, oh, hollow novel. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, and he does have... And the publisher is actually uh, very unethical, which I thought was strange because <laughs> this is the Federation, right? He's a Bolian, and he sort mm-hmm. of... He publishes the book without 
the doctor's permission and it causes this whole problem. And then he has to basically take him to court. Like he sues him and they go, they have an arbiter. Uh, I don't know if this is how courts work in the Federation, but they uh-huh. have an arbiter come in and, and sort of rule on it. And it's, I mean, it's all kind of a, a workup of measure of a man just with the uh-huh. doctor. But right. yeah, that's, wow, that's Right, forced arbitration in the future? I don't think so. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, well, yeah, all the lawyers are dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> they killed them all. Yeah. Conflict journalist and host of the Behind the Bastards podcast, Robert Evans, was on episode 4.5 to talk about optimism and TNG. We also discussed Douglas Adams, comedy in sci-fi, and the Orville. It reminds me of, I think it's uh, the second, the restaurant at the end of the universe by Douglas Adams, where they have the never-ending party, which is like a a party that's just been going on forever, and then they start running out of chips and stuff, so they put like rockets on the party, and now they're like a raiding party and raid other parties for their stuff. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I, I do love Douglas Adams. That was another piece of science fiction that like I was was very much into as like a teenage boy uh, was, was... the the hitchhikers all five books in the trilogy um yeah right (laughs) still very big influence and i would say a huge influence on literally everyone who worked at cracked oh yeah i can imagine yeah there's maybe i'm just not looking in the right places but it just doesn't seem to be a lot of uh comedic sci-fi these days um outside of you know your rick and morty and (laughs) that's about it yeah, I think that would probably be the gold standard for sci-fi comedy right now. Um, I am a huge fan of the Orville. I'm not normally a Seth MacFarlane guy, uh, but modern day, like uh, I, I'm not personally a fan of, of d- discovery of what I've seen of it because it's more focused. And I get why people enjoy it, but it's more focused on action and war and fighting than what I really am into Star Trek for. And yeah. uh, the Orville's the only. TV show I can find right now that's a really just sort of like procedural science fiction where you've just got this group of really nice people who are all focused on exploration and discovery and running a really ethical society uh, (laughs) being 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 nice to the people they meet Uh, I really that's what I miss from TNG that's what I enjoy most about it is that kind of optimism at the core of it that we'll get through the worst parts of our civilization eventually and become better Um, yeah and I, 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 yeah, sorry. Like, I, I like that they're both post-capitalist. Um, not that I'm anti-capitalist, but I don't think any system that governs humanity lasts forever. And I enjoy that Star Trek was was bold enough and has always really been bold enough to imagine a humanity after that is done, once we move on to something else. I think that's one of the things I like most about it. On episode five, I was joined by Heal Mary and Gooey Fame of the Existence is Futile podcast to talk about the DS9 episode, Necessary Evil. And as usual, I asked them what jobs they would want in Starfleet. And it starts out fairly optimistic, but quickly gets a little discouraging. And Gooey also pitches a Star Trek cooking show. Now that we've reached the end of the show, you'll receive a commission and the rank of ensign. What departments on the ship do you both work in? Oh, interesting. Is there is there a music music department? Do we want to go there? Or... <laughs> I think there's going to have to be. Yeah, oh. we could we could start the the. Are we on a ship? Right. Yeah. We could do. We could yeah. be like start or the a ba- station. Ship or station band. I mean, I don't want to speak for both of us. So no, yeah, Mary. I think, what about you? I think that's where I would want to be too. Mm, this is hard to think about. We could be like. Uh, do they have like a like a radio station? Well, given my actual work history, I'd probably end up doing some kind of administrative job. 
<laughs> Realistically, See, I think I've been I've been traditionally um, a chef or a, not a chef, a cook. So like <laughs> that position doesn't really but exist. They don't need you. You could be a bartender. Oh yeah, I could I could be a, a bar back for Guinan or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you started off with uh, creating a band or being in music and you guys have downgraded yourself to like <laughs> desk clerk and bar back. So well, we're keep, being, keep dreaming. We're being realistic here. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got too real. <laughs> we, we've actually talked about, I think we talked about this on the show, but like chefs must exist somewhere. It's just more a feature of there's like a chef boyardee, right? And so he <laughs> makes like whatever the pasta recipe is and then it gets mass produced into cans and stuff. So somebody must make the perfect, um, you know, beef Wellington, but then it gets scanned into the computer and it just comes out of the replicator like that. I think there's a Star Trek, like, spinoff cooking show that could be made. Oh, well, well it's got to be Felix. a cooking competition, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, chopped, but... Yeah. Yeah, okay. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Pack up your replicator. You're going home. Yeah. <laughs> Comedian Asterios Kokonos was on episode six, ostensibly to talk about the Voyager episode author, author. But here's a list of other topics we talked about just in this clip. Sitcom settings, Voyager struggling with its premise, nerfing Neelix, all of Asterios' podcasts, and how podcasts have become the middle class of comedy. But you know, man, the thing is, though, sitcom is a bunch of people like cheers right cheers never leaves the bar it so <laughs> that's, that's rarely true. leaves the bar <laughs> yeah. i'm watching the first season of cheers i remember a long time ago and i was like there's no there's they 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 are always in this goddamn bar and it always works yeah um, like uh you know it's possible to put a bunch of characters and, you know, they very intentionally did do that with community. Like we're in the first season. They're like, you're not allowed to oh, leave can't the leave. college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there was like a weird Dan Harmon rule about that. And it's like, uh, yeah, well, if your characters are interesting and diverse and dynamic enough, then the fact that they're all trapped in the same space will actually create conflicts. Yeah. Not, not like lack of a lack of stories, but it's like on the show, it's that, it's it's like they don't know how to drive the car they've been given, yeah. You know, yeah, and they right. nerf Neelix right away because, like, in the pilot, Neelix is like Han Solo, like it's kind of a badass, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he like he destroys the Kazon's water supply, grabs his hot girlfriend, and beams out. And then they just make him a goof. And by the way, I like goof Neelix, <laughs> like, but you do get the sense that, that that like between the pilot and episode 7 they got a bunch of notes either internally at the Star Trek writing team or externally where they were like no fighting between the crews Neelix we liked funny Neelix better right you know what you know what I'm talking about like do you are you on the same page with me I think so I mean but this episode is great and that's the thing it's like with Voyager look man if you make how many episodes of Voyager are there like 150 yeah, something like that. Yeah, look, you make 150 some of something, six of them are going to be good. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so like, this is a very, very good episode of Voyager. It's yeah. very, very good. <laughs> uh, you, uh, I thought I had a lot of podcasts, but you're a podcasting dynamo. I mean, you've Aww. got the Boomer versus Zoomer, Waifu Wars, Loudest Podcast, Pork Chatter, Asterios Kills a Kid. Many of the podcasts I listen to are hosted by comedians or have comedians as guests. Has podcasting led to a renaissance in comedy, or is it just one more thing comedians have to do to be taken seriously and gain exposure? 
No, it's uh, it's it's incredible what it has done to develop a middle class of comedy. Because it's like, well, now I got a reason to talk to you every week and remind you of my shows. Or, yeah. or like, tell you that, like, I got this other thing that you can buy or do this. It's a way to talk to people every week that, like... In, that want to hear you because they're seeking you out. Like, uh, I don't know, back in the day, like, you would watch television because it was on. Like, well, that's why I fucking watched Star Trek because yeah. it was on. Right. You know what I mean? And it was inside, yeah. It was on and it was inside and it was free. Like, it was not like HBO. But, um, but the nice thing about fucking podcasting is that, I mean, we're both doing, I assume you're in your house right now, not a giant studio, right? Uh, yeah, I'm in a studio in my house. Oh, yeah, see, there you go, exactly. <laughs> like, you didn't have to, like, spend, you didn't have to spend 50 grand to rent out a radio no. studio no, for no. the day and then hire an editor and then send the tape to a satellite guy who says if it's good enough. Like, the other thing about podcasting that's amazing is we are, like, creators are in control, you didn't need to pitch this show that you're doing to someone who doesn't know what Star Trek is yeah, and then have them go, well, what if instead of only Star Trek, you talked about all sci-fi? That, that way we might be able to get listeners who are into Babylon 5 or Farscape. And hey, what if uh, what if you had a funny co-host? And what if it was seven minutes long? <laughs> like, you, like, you didn't have, like, that's the thing about podcasting is that, like, for good or for ill, it is now on you as a comedian to succeed or fail. Right. Like, you can't blame the studio and you can't blame the network. I'll yeah. blame the network for fucking Voyager, like, or Paramount or Braga or whoever. I'll blame a million people. Right. But, like, if my show's not good, it's like, ooh, sorry. Ooh. <laughs> on episode 8.5, Mikan Hana of the Just Enough Trope podcast stopped by to talk about the news of the Trek world, and we took a moment to speculate on what the upcoming Picard series might be about. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, Alex Kurtzman, uh, Trek czar, said that the show will be a psychological look at Picard and his character. Uh, okay. He said that they Expect want to no make less. it uh, a character study about a man and his emeritus years. Okay. And they want to make it a slower and more meditative show. So don't expect the boom, bomb, bombast of Star Trek Discovery. There are four lights. Are there four lights? <laughs> let's go. Let's go check that out. Honestly, Captain Picard just... just flying around myth busting. Or he's going around and he is just checking up on everything that happened before. So he's going back. <laughs> he's like... He's just checking in with everybody. Yeah, the place is like a convenience store now. Ding, ding. He's like, can I, how can I help you? Oh, hold on. Uh, those lights over there. Let's see. One, two, three, four. <laughs> oh, yep. There were, there's four lights. <laughs> Write it down. You have to buy something, sir. And then... I don't know. Oh, I like that. He can go to the planet with the oil slick, you know, with oh, Armis. Oh, no. See what Armis is up to. Armis is, he's in a better place now. He's settled down. <laughs> he's only gray instead of black. And he's got a job. It's sort of like mid-level. Like, he's not super happy with it. But he right. feels like he's going to probably get a raise pretty soon. He's, <laughs> he's seeing a, a white slick. You know, they're um, oh not exclusive, but it just seems like there's some... Something there. One of these ideas. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I... <laughs> I kind of wouldn't mind watching like a show where he like just toots around in a ship and like uh, does archaeological digs and like. Well, in this uh, reportedly in this scene, this very short scene we see, Mm -hmm. this cadet that he talks to doesn't know who he is. And that look that we get is something of a mild shock kind of look because he's like, (laughs) you don't know who I am? (laughs) 
I mean, he doesn't like go Reese Witherspoon you, on the guy. How do you but, not know who I am? But I think he's just like it's supposed to be. And then cue the voiceover because, of course, yeah, because that's just right? how we do it now. It's like I never thought people would forget me, but <laughs> it seems as if this this old gray has earned his last tea. Oh man. As long as they're done as like <laughs> uh, Captain's Log or whatever, I think I'll be more okay with it than him just doing it voiceover. But he's just keeping Captain's Log. Still. Yeah. <laughs> he's been retired for 18 years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or personal log. Captain's Log. Don't forget to refill your medication. <laughs> Rocket Man and the Dribble, a.k.a. Connor and Alexa from the Boldly Boinking podcast, joined me on episode 11.5 to talk about sex in the world of Trek, and we discussed the particular peccadilloes of Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, the general horniness of early Trek, and how premises evolve past the ideas or hang-ups of their creators. So, like, as far as the writers of Trek go, you know, people can be mistakes, be flawed people, and still be doing good things. Yep. Roddenberry definitely had his issues with sex. Did, did either of you see his uh, his only feature film, Pretty Maids, all in a row? No. It's his only movie credit, and uh, he made it in the 70s, like the early 70s, 70 or 71, and it stars Rock Hudson, let me finish, uh, <laughs> as a high school guidance counselor at an all-girls <laughs> school. Uh, let me finish. Actually, don't let me finish. It's going to be horrible. And yeah. he is basically banging all the students. And he's also, spoiler alert, a serial killer. And so the movie, the movie kind of like, you know, it disproves of his killing, but it also, it seems like it's pretty, thinks that his, um, you know, womanizing with these 17 year olds is pretty cool. Yeah, he's and, still a pretty cool dude. I mean, maybe if he just yeah. toned down all the killing a bit, he'd be like sure. a nice guy. Now that he's, you explain yeah. this, I feel like I someone else has brought this to my attention and I may have watched a trailer for this. So I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but it's, <laughs> It, it just, to me, it seems like somebody, it's like everybody's just hanging out and we're having fun and we're telling jokes. And then one friend who maybe wasn't there or didn't get what we were doing jumps in and says something really offensive. And we're all like, okay, shut oh. it down. Sexual revolution's over. Forget yeah. about it. I mean, it's much like a lot of sort of, for lack of a better word, world creators like um, Lucas or something is a lot of their later stuff often seems like it's they have the great idea the great idea great is the the idea is fantastic but then it's like okay well now we got to move past it and Star Trek I think I mean probably took a much this had of necessity had to take a much the same approach it's like Rod and Mary came up with something okay because his influence was very much in the sort of the utopian ideal of the thing and that kind of thing right. probably yeah. his influence in the writing I, I suspect that you're right was probably not so much in the well of course the utopian ideal would come to gender equality and this that, and the other that is most likely introduced by others and then in later series you 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 have to take the ideas that were good but then move on from the ones that that weren't so fantastic i mean mm -hmm. much the same yeah. as we've seen with uh, with lucas just because someone created something doesn't mean that all their ideas about it are going to be that good i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and that's <laughs> and that's also evident too in the original series versus the movies with the same cast right yeah. like the later yeah. the movies are are a lot better um in terms of dynamics and yeah, uh, and and as far as the movies go, the motion picture, the one that Roddenberry had the most influence in, that's the one that's got 
all the uh, vaginal symbolism. You've got the uh, Delton character, who these guys are so sexy, they, yep. would just, they would just blow you away. So they can't even have sex. Yeah, it's a lot of weird li- stuff. You you gotta, literally McCoy literally has a medallion on. It's Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's late- also widely acknowledged as like probably the sort of slowest and least interesting <laughs> out of all of them as well. And then, of course, especially when you compare it to right after, you have Wrath of Khan and Ricardo and Montalban's just truly amazing packs. Like, uh, you, <laughs> yeah. could, you could do a whole feature on just those. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that from you guys in the future. Don't let me down. Sarek, both the TNG episode and The Man, were the topic of episode 14, and Liz and Annika of the Antimatter Pod podcast joined me to talk about the parallels between Sarek losing his faculties and Gene Roddenberry, the father figure of Trek, also needing to step away from the franchise. We also talked about the people who stepped in to replace Gene and who they may map onto in the Trek universe. I rewatched this episode a couple times in preparation for this uh, show, and you know, it features amazing performances. It routine, uh, it's got the return of a classic character, but I couldn't help but being kind of depressed by it. I mean, I felt like when it was over, I couldn't really parse what it was trying to say to the audience. Like, okay, yeah, getting old sucks. We're all going to get old. <laughs> but I couldn't believe that was it. And I'm ashamed to say it wasn't until I started reading some commentaries on it and looking at some of the scholarship about the episode that I learned, oh, it's about Gene Roddenberry. He, he's Sarek in the episode. Yeah. Now I understand. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so interesting that he had a part in how this episode was written when he was, he must have been aware of his own decla- decline. And I understand he had had many strokes by this point and was taking a backseat yeah, right. o- o- on production. And yeah. I wonder if in suggesting that it be about Sarek, he was intentionally positioning this as a farewell to himself which I, I didn't mean to sound so self-serving. I think it's actually a really lovely gesture. Sure. I, I think that um, part of what Sarek is doing in the episode is trying to control his own legacy. Like he mm, yeah. has been working on this one thing for 93 years. And so if he can just complete it, then he can say, you know, I, I have accomplished this and it won't... The, you know, failing to accomplish it won't overshadow all the accomplishments he's, he has already done. Mm. So it's, yeah. it's ending on his terms. And I can see a, you know, a creator also wanting to sort of end, end, on my, end on my terms, you know, bring back a legacy character in order to say, this is what Star Trek is, and this is why I made yes. it. I was reading remarks from uh, Michael Piller, uh, someone else who helped shape the Star Trek universe and was taken from us too soon. And he was talking about the uncomfortable parallels in constructing the episode. And basically the same thing that you were saying, having a creator who is trying to finish this work, but also at the same time seeing his faculties and his sort of self-control mm. disappear. Not only is Sarek mm. trying to land this deal that's taken so long, but he's also seeing everything that he's relied on, his emotional control and just his view of the world sort of slip away from him. Yeah, it made me think of the later Discworld novels after Terry Pratchett's uh, Alzheimer's was becoming apparent and impacting his work. Mm. And... Yeah, I think there are lots and lots of parallels we can draw. And I think it's a very real situation. And I think that's what TNG, when TNG is at its best, this is what it does. It takes something very real and personal and gives it to an alien 
and we can still see the humanity <laughs> of that story. I think the bright side of this situation, um, losing Roddenberry, is that with him stepping away from the production, uh, a lot of the people who were, you know, quote unquote, his people were also departed as well, mm. like um, embattled showrunner Mari Hurley. So you see a new generation, so to speak, take the helm and the show and the franchise really take off like never before. So I don't know if that makes Michael Piller uh, Picard, uh, similar hair, I guess. And yes. uh, maybe that makes Maurice Hurley uh, Keem and Drozen or, or somebody. Uh, Iron Seaver there is Data, just to continue this. And For that sure. means Melinda, Snod- Melinda Snodgrass is Geordi, maybe? I don't know. It's not a perfect one-to-one. No. It's interesting <laughs> that you compare Pillar to Roddenberry in this because I've been watching uh, season two of Voyager, which is his last on Star Trek. Right. And he, he was obviously very exhausted and creatively burnt out and full of ideas for changing and updating the the format of the series but not quite able yeah. to stick the landings and so yeah knowing knowing when it's time to step back and let the the new generation take over is such a difficult skill to learn yeah i think that that is something that plagued the later years of this period of the franchise um it I can imagine taking something, like I mentioned in the intro, that was re- a real gamble, like, can we do this? Mm. Having it be so successful, and then like Sarek thinking, well, we brought it here. I, whichever producer or writer I am, have made it this thing. I can't give it to somebody else. I'm just going to have to stick around. I think that happens with, with all showrunners. You know, they come in and yeah. They're, yeah. they're new and they're welcomed, and then they get tired. And, and it's so hard to... It seems like the entertainment industry has trouble with succession planning for showrunners on big oh, yeah, franchises. Yeah. And his name yeah. rhymes with Schmannen Schmaga. I was going to say <laughs> Schmick Schmerman, but yes, oh, well, <laughs> both well. these things are true. <laughs> Artist Michael Collins joined the show on episode 16 to talk about magic to make the sanest man go mad, an episode of the new Trek series Discovery. But we also talked about the classic sci-fi he grew up with in the UK and how Trek in the 60s and Star Wars in the 70s were very different from what modern audiences might expect. We, we used to have this uh, weekly uh, anthology comic in Britain called TV21. And it started off doing a lot of the Jerry Anderson stuff. So uh, Captain Scarlet, Scarlet Fireball XL5, um, all sort of uh, the, 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 uh, the puppet tie and stuff. And it started to diversify a bit. And somehow or other, before the TV show was on air over here, they got the license to do Star Trek as a comic. Okay. So as a, what would I have been? Better eight at the time. So as far as I was concerned, Star Trek, the TV show, was just like Batman, the TV show. It was based on a comic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> In my head, Star Trek has always been this TV adaptation of a comic strip I really, really liked. <laughs> Sure. Okay. So your way in was comics then, literally. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, I know that there's, uh, of course, Doctor Who has been on for even longer than Star Trek uh, and started started in the UK. And that's something that we got a little later over here. Um, And there's a lot of like comics and uh, and of course, a lot of tie in novels and radio plays for Doctor Who as well. So are you getting so you're getting Star Trek comics, but are you getting books? Uh, Are you getting the photo novels like they had like in the uh, late 60s and early 70s? Yeah, we, we had uh, the, the well, we, we had the James Blish adaptations of the episodes where uh, because James, oh, yes, was, yes, yes, he was based in Britain, so he hadn't seen the show. Uh, you, you read the first couple of adaptations that he's got in there, and there's this wildly different show that was going on in his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which which I loved. I just thought it was great. Um, 
Uh, that was quite enjoyable. Uh, we had we we did have the photo novels. They, I seem to remember those coming a bit later, but mm. I do remember getting the uh, the hard bubble gum with the trading cards that built up into a big picture. Of uh, oh, I yeah. think it was from Mud's Women, which is quite ironic considering the episode we're talking about today. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting to see how early authors, sci-fi authors and creators, interpreted the world of Star Trek before we had the sort of canonized idea. You know, even in the first season of Star Trek, they're still building on uh, what's really going on here. You know, the Federation doesn't make an appearance until like a dozen episodes in. And just the concepts uh, that the way that the franchise was being built. And yeah, having somebody like James Blish, who's, you know, very creative and a great author, just kind of just running with it, like seeing what he can come up with. Yeah, and, and having Spock slamming doors as well. Was... Yeah, see, I'm acting very differently. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the uh, it's like the, um, the Splinter of the Mind's Eye. You know, the novel that was written as yeah. the sort of sequel to Star Wars in case it didn't work out, and seeing the like the different. We don't usually cross the streams here on the show and talk about uh, Star <laughs> Wars, but I think it fits. But seeing the different concept of the Force and and the way that uh, you know what Darth Vader's ultimate goal really is. There's a whole scene in there in uh, Sprint of Mind's Eye where Darth Vader goes on about killing Luke's dad. And it's like... Right. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Figure that out, canon freaks. <laughs> <laughs> on episode 18.5, Jen Dahlman, co-host of the Rosemary's Ladies podcast, joined me to talk about law in the Star Trek universe. We also ended up discussing something the law is concerned with, specifically money and property. Star Trek features a post-scarcity society, and we wondered what the value of work would be in a world where capital is superfluous. And there was an episode of um, Next Generation where they wake up three people from cryosleep who are like from the 21st <laughs> yeah, century. The, the neutral zone. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And one of them is like, I, I got to call my, I got to call my guy, you know. I'm give me sure a Wall my, Street Journal. Yeah. Yeah, give me a Wall Street <laughs> Journal. Like I, you know, I had, I've had money in this high yield savings account for the past hundred years hundreds and hundreds of years i've got to be rich and you can just see picard being like i don't want to tell this guy what's oh, up boy yeah and it's sort of interesting watching especially him like watching them react to like well what do we do now if we if we as people especially like in this time exist to make money to buy a house to pay for our car to do all like to pay back student loans. If we don't have to do that, then is there, what's the point of working? And I think the point is you, you do something you enjoy. This isn't like, you don't have to work because you have to, you, you, you work because it's something that's fulfilling and something that lets you help people and help the Federation and, whatnot. Yeah, I, I think that that was also um, part of his book as well, which was just like the only you, you look at the altruism and like the egalitarianism of Trek society and think, well, that's more science fictional than the warp drive. But if you did take, you know, if, the, if you took the wolf from the door, the end point, hopefully, uh, would be that humanity would just gravitate towards self-improvement. Um mm-hmm. I'm sure there would be a period. There's there was there's got to be like a period in between. I don't know, maybe like uh, first contact and uh, Enterprise, the show, or Enterprise and Discovery, where humanity goes through this like malaise of like, what do we do now? Like just psychologically, as a as a people, we're like, huh. And then you fu- we discover, oh, 
we could just de- dedicate ourselves to making ourselves better, making the universe better. Uh, I don't know if that includes Archer punching people in the face or not, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we could work it in. Right. Uh, and finally, I spoke with author Catherine Valenti on episode 19 about the TNG episode where no man has gone before and the fantasy elements present in Trek. But I really wanted to know more about the Mass Effect Andromeda tie-in novel she wrote last year called Annihilation. And I found out that she was a huge Mass Effect fan, and she wrote that novel at the behest of her agent, and she took a pay cut to do it. Here's the clip. You wrote a Mass Effect Andromeda novel last year. Yeah, that's arguably a space opera setting. It definitely has uh, relatively hard sci-fi. Were you familiar with the franchise before working on it? I was a massive fan of, I'm a huge fan of Mass Effect. Awesome. Uh, I am a massive fan of Mass Effect. Sure. I, so I pursued that. Um, my agent was like, oh, why do you want to do a tie-in? Like, <laughs> I hate it. Why are you doing this? Why are you making me make this deal? I'm like, because I love it and I want to. <laughs> make the call. <laughs> He's like, it's not even good. Like, you know, they don't pay very well. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, I really wanted to do it um, because I just like I was evangelizing to everybody I met about Mass Effect, and and uh, I just love the game so much. And part of the reason that I love it is it kind of gave me that that watching Star Trek for the first yeah. time feeling, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it actually my so mine is called Annihilation, and um, it's actually quite hard science fiction, which was part of the. Um, sort of assignment from uh, BioWare. They wanted me to hmm. sort, of, sort of strip down the available technology uh-huh. um, in a kind of the Martian Mass Effect way. Okay. Uh, like the, the Martian was specifically mentioned. I'm like, huh. Okay, all so right. you want Mass Effect without the technology, that's going to be really interesting. Yeah. So like one of the first things I had to do was come up with a way to hamstring all of that high tech. Yeah. Uh, so Annihilation is actually kind of a classic locked room mystery and there's a plague that's released on the ship uh and they don't have the technology to just press a button and scan and find out what's going on so you know all of the sort of various skills from people from these aliens weird lives have to come into play to to even do something as basic as an autopsy okay and this is another narrative too uh like our episode today where you've got humans leaving our galaxy and exploring a different one yeah and so they are they're completely without help out in the middle of nowhere um yeah so i mean in a lot of ways it kind of was my chance to to write a star trek kind of story because god how many episodes are there in next gen where everybody like somebody's alone on the ship or like the power starts getting shut down or you know the the sort of uh lonely person on the ship is a is a next gen staple I can't wait till I'm a famous author and I can force my agent to get me a video game tie in. (laughs) And that is it for this year. Seriously, it's been another great year on the show and an unbelievable list of guests who joined me to talk about Star Trek and how Star Trek affects our world. We didn't do much for Thanksgiving on the show this year, maybe next year, but I am truly thankful for the opportunity to talk Star Trek with such intelligent and interesting people, and for you listeners for joining me on this journey. Thank you. Everything you heard today is, of course, available in full on our usual show feeds on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et al. You can also find them on our webpage at enterprisingindividuals.com or on our social media on Twitter at at EISTpod and on Facebook. We also have a Facebook discussion group called Enterprising Interlocutions that you are welcome to join. We have great discussions there. We also have a Discord for the Just Enough Trope Network where we talk about Star Trek as well as movies and comics, video games, TV shows. Please join us. Let us know your thoughts about Star Trek and about enterprising individuals. We're waiting to receive your transmission. 
Before we go, there's just there's one piece of awful, just terrible news, and I apologize for dropping it so late in the show, but it had to be mentioned. DC or Dorothy Fontana, a writer on Star Trek, the original series, and The Next Generation, passed away last weekend at the age of 80. She's been discussed many, many, many times on this show as one of the architects of Trek from the very start. Uh, she's one of the faces on Mount Trekmore, without question. And everything ground <laughs> completely to a halt here at the Just Enough Trump Studios when we got the news and we're still stunned. And with the show ending for this season, there, there's nothing that we can really do right now um, to honor her, save to say that our thoughts are with her family and her friends right now. It didn't seem right to try and rush out some kind of tribute um, but rest assured that when we return next year, we'll have an episode dedicated completely to Dorothy's life and her work. I, I can't say that. David Gerald, uh, who also wrote for TOS and TNG along with DC and was a lifelong friend of hers, uh, he probably said it best in a post on Facebook yesterday uh, saying, quote, the single most eloquent thing I can say here is that I have no words, end quote. And that's how we feel here, too. Uh, he later, of course... <laughs> He posted a huge amount of words about Dorothy on Facebook. He is David Gerald, after all. Uh, and it was a touching tribute to her life and to their friendship. And you can read it. You can look uh, look up David on Facebook, David Gerald, G-E-R-R-O-L-D. Uh, and you can see that tribute. And we'll be reading excerpts from it uh, on a future show, for sure. If you're wondering if there's anything you can do right now for the family, uh, there is. Uh, Dorothy's family has asked that in lieu of flowers or remembrances, um, people can make in-memoriam donations to some of DC's favorite charities, uh, specifically the Humane Society, the Best Friends Animal Society, and the American Film Institute. And I have included links in the show notes if you would like to contribute to those. So rest in peace, Dorothy. You will be missed. If you've enjoyed this year of enterprising individuals, why not consider becoming a crew member of the show by going to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Crew members get exclusive content like my DS9 and Voyager commentaries, you get live episodes and extended outtakes from our guest interviews, and you get thanked on the air. If you want to help us on our mission, go to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Also, when you're holiday shopping this year, please consider clicking through our Amazon banner on enterprisingindividuals.com when you're shopping on Amazon. When you get to amazon.com by first clicking through our banner, a percentage of every transaction you make comes back to us at the show at no extra cost to you, and it helps keep the warp core lit here. It's a great way to support the show doing something you're already doing. You're shopping on Amazon for late Cyber Monday deals, for Christmas, or even everyday purchases. You can also bookmark our banner, bookmark that link, and you can reach Amazon in one click and support the show all at the same time. As always, anything you contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying. Thanks. So that's our show, and that's our season for 2019. Finally, finally, we're pulling into Stardock. And I got to tell you, the ship, we look like the Enterprise, you know, at the end of Wrath of Khan, a huge hole in the side, it was scorch marks, there's uh, Scotty's nephews dead in sickbay. It's been rough. Uh, this has been a stressful year, as I'm sure you know, for a lot of reasons, a lot of bad things happening in the world. And I don't pretend that my problems are as bad as all of that, but we've had a lot of technical and equipment issues this year, which we finally ironed out for the most part, uh, thanks in part to support from our crew members. And we've greatly expanded the Just Enough Trope network this year as well. We've added several new shows. Uh, you can check all those out by going to justenoughtrope.com. And it's been an exhausting amount of work, but it's all in the service of making this thing that we're doing better and better. And I think, I hope, that we've accomplished that. And we are already planning an even better year of shows for next season, but 
I don't even want to think about that right now. I'm just going to go collapse, and I'll talk to you again soon in the new year. Uh, in the meantime, we will, of course, be back, we being my co-host Ella and I, to recap the new season of Star Trek Picard uh, this January 23rd, live after Picard airs on CBS All Access. We will be there with a new episode of Discoverage. So please join us for that. We are very excited for that. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at at EISTpod to get notifications about when we're going live with our Discoverage shows. And also keep in touch with us while the show's on leave. And please join us on our Discord. We want to hear from you. And that's it for season four. We are switching the warp core to standby mode. And we're getting ready for our Baryon sweep. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and Hak Samayach and Happy Kwanzaa and whatever you celebrate this time of year. Happy holidays to you. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks again so much for your support. We're signing off until the next season. Hailing frequencies closed. Sun,